So hello everybody. This is the Hacker Noon podcast and today we would be discussing about flash loans, flash loan attacks, how they happen, what are some of the implications that can lead to certain catastrophic results in the financial world and how are some of the people who are fighting against flash loan attacks and preventing it wanna go about things. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce Sam Kim who is the founding partner at Umbrella network which is a decentralized oracle for those of you who don't know oracles basically are the window through which blockchains communicate with the outside world we also have miguel morales with us who is the technical advisor to umbrella network and together we'd be going over how did those flash on attacks happen whether it be on ethereum whether it be on the binance smart chain as we spoke about and what is the underlying mechanism like what makes it possible we would go deeper into all of that but first let's like pass on the mic to sam kim and let him tell us what has been do- what has he been doing for the past few months hey sam yeah. welcome to the podcast hey usan thanks for having me over uh, on your podcast excited to be here it's a great and topical topic uh, that we're covering right now and hugely important given all the things that have been going on in the market with these attack with these flash loan attacks i think this is a real issue that we've got to address and get out in front of because they're going to continue to happen going forward i think the past couple of months we've been focused primarily on getting our oracle out to market because we think that a strong thriving oracle that covers a broad number of assets is the best way to fight these oracle these flash loan attacks so mm-hmm. excited to talk about this today Definitely, definitely, and we'll be looking forward. Now let's go over to Miguel. So Miguel, does a flash loan attacker look like you, or is he like something very suave as Sam? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. They're probably not as good looking as me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm kidding. I'm kidding, obviously. But yeah, yeah. My name is Miguel Morales. I'm a technical advisor here at Umbrella. and yeah it's our job it's pretty exciting to to be able to you know architect and build products that solve these uh, these challenges because we're going to discuss they're largely like an oracle problem that can be largely solved so it's just exciting uh, to be here mhm mhm so let's start with the question let's ask like sam first if you could explain what a flash loan attack is at its essence like how do you explain a flash loan attack to your mom is like something that i love to ask everybody like how do you explain things to your mom and if you can do that like you can explain it to the wider world very easily yeah i think the way i've been explaining it to in layman real world applications think about your mortgage Right. Mm-hmm. If you take out a home loan, the bank one of the first thing they do is appraise the value of your home, right? And based mm-hmm. on the amount that you're appraised, the the house is appraised that it determines how much you can borrow from the bank and how much money you can collect. Mm-hmm. And if you want to borrow more than you're qualified for, you can fig- and if you can figure out a way to manipulate that appraised value, imagine in a world where that's done uh, through software, where mm-hmm. and if you figure out that algorithm and manipulate it in the such that your home which may be worth $100,000 all of a sudden gets appraised at a million dollars you're going to be able to access far more cash from the bank right mm-hmm. at the right. same time imagine if you have a loan outstanding loan and somebody manipulates the value of your home to to decrease right from let's say 100,000 to 25,000 now there's a potential that your mortgage will get called Uh, mm-hmm. and you will have to pay back 
some of that money that you borrowed. That's mm-hmm. not the case here in the U.S. in general, but in other markets, that is, that is a real possibility. And so that's what people are doing. And that's the end that they're trying to, that's the arbitrage they're trying to enact. The flash loan is the mechanism by which they are manipulating those prices, right? The value of USDT, the value of you know, USDC or any other, as, any other crypto asset. They mm-hmm. borrow through a flash loan, which I think maybe Miguel can talk through the flash loan a bit, but basically through a flash loan, they get access to a bunch of capital and manipulate the price of a crypto asset such as USDT, USDC, or an altcoin in order to and take advantage of that altered value in another marketplace, in a secondary mm-hmm. market from where they manipulate their price. That's answered, you know, a little bit more than what is a flash loan there, but the two come and go, do go hand in hand. Right, so. exactly. So let's go over to Miguel. And like Miguel, as Sam brought up this thing where he says that the price of the USDT or the price of the USDC can be manipulated. For the layman, what this means is that people just manipulated the price of the US dollar. I guess like only the Fed has the rights to do that, or at least the Fed has the power to do that, or maybe the people who were their money printers. How does that translate into the blockchain side of world? Because when it comes to blockchains and cryptocurrencies, people tend to believe that Once it's on the ledger, it's live. How are people manipulating the price of something? Like break it down for the layman. Yeah, absolutely. So at the end of the day, there's still smart contracts. There's still, you could argue that it's it's not really a hack per se. I mean, this is the way that the system and smart contracts are supposed to work in the way that they're coded. And the way that Mm -hmm. it worked, at least in some of the early attacks, the flash loan attacks, was was the attacker initiated a flash loan and then they went and used that flash loan to do, a, let's say, a big trade between a crypto pair in uh, Uniswap or Curve or whatever. And so because of that large transaction, the way that these that these uh, decentralized exchanges work, it moves the price significantly, particularly if it's like a small uh, pool, a small mm-hmm. liquidity pool is going to shift the, the value significantly. And so for that point in time, even if the value like quickly shifts back within the next few seconds, within that transaction, the value um, of the asset would change dramatically. And so within that transaction, then the value changes, the price changes, and then that's where you can manipulate and do other things. Mm-hmm. But that's essentially how you do it is you just make a large trade uh, on a pair that has a smaller pool and then that, that really changes the price. Got it. Do you think there is a role that the Uniswaps or the Sushi Swaps, the curve finances of the world can play to prevent that? Or is it just that it is two systems communicating and there needs to be a layer of sorts like the oracles as you guys are building. Or is it going to be like there is a world where, whereby the communications can be streamlined, maybe a secured pipe that makes sure that the pricing is always right and fair. Yeah, yeah. go ahead. What I was going to say is that any single market can be manipulated. There's not a market right. out there that's big enough yeah. That it can't, it's not subject to a potential attack. Like we saw that with Coinbase Pro, we saw it with all the other exchanges that we're talking about. And if you look at even the larger centralized financial world, like if you look at the NASDAQ, when, when there was, I forget the name of the hedge fund 
that was liquidating assets uh, rather rapidly. They single-handedly depressed the price of the NASDAQ equity market, and which is, if you think about the sheer size of the NASDAQ market, it's ma- in comparison to crypto, Massive. it's huge. Right? Yeah, any single market is vulnerable. And therefore, yeah, I, to your point, like having that additional layer where an Oracle comes in and looks across the entire market and judges the price not from a single exchange, but for all of the exchanges, that is the most viable way to protect against these things. Because how do you protect against a, how how does a flash loan work in such that it manipulates the price across all of those exchanges? And so Mm -hmm. I do believe this layer that's of oracles that sit on top of these exchanges are critical. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Miguel, before you guys like bring on the umbrella network into a mainnet, tell me how do I take out a flash loan? I want to borrow a billion dollars. Like, how do I do that? I don't about a billion, but you can borrow a lot of money and it's exciting. It's, I think it's really cool. It's one of the things that really make blockchain like different, right? From like traditional financing. And so, for example, the most popular library out there is Aave. And so Aave, for example, has a smart contract library and you can develop your own flash loan code. So you, mm-hmm. it's an API that they give you. So within your Solidity smart contract, you call and you say, I want this uh, this amount of tokens and in a few extra parameters and then and then that token that that contract the Abe contract has some callbacks and, and it calls back to your method to make sure that everything happens within one transaction and so you just have to implement these callbacks in your contract and then use the Abe SDK to to call Abe and then mm-hmm. you need you can have access to millions of of you know dollars of any token without or you know, without any collateral and only paying like a small fee. You can also do it, another thing you can do it is through a DEXs. So Uniswap, I believe, has a way of doing a flash loan. I know PancakeSwap does, and there's a few other ones. So Aave, I think, is the most popular one. And so you essentially have a library that you can use to write code that borrows millions of dollars, and you can use it for within that transaction for eight seconds. And that's exciting, yeah. Got it. So two questions here. Do I need to be a programmer to... Take out the flash. I would say that if you want to be successful at it, because you have to monitor, let's say you're doing arbitrage, you have to monitor different pairs for this arbitrage opportunity and then act on it. I think if you want to be good, yeah, you have to know how to program and you have to know how to program and, and make the smart contracts that use the flash loan. Now, I think Aave has a front end, so you can do these things on the front end. It'll be a dashboard, a graphical interface, but I think that's so much less powerful than code. So you, to answer your question, you don't have to, but I think to get the most power out of it, you have to be a developer. Yeah. Got it. So all of those people watching who watch those YouTube videos saying, learn to take out a flash loan in five minutes, learn to code first. But coming back to my second question, so how long do I have from taking out a flash loan attack, like taking out a flash loan before it needs to be paid? Like how long is- It's hard to, it's hard to describe. To answer your question, it would be every time a, a new block is minted. So you have access to those funds. So that's what, 23 seconds or so. And so you essentially have that long, but from the point of view of a computer, it has to be done immediately. So, it, so all the code gets executed sequentially mm-hmm. and it's, it's similar to a, a database. So if you guys are familiar with database, you can do what's called an, an atomic transaction. And atomic means that everything has to succeed or nothing succeeds. And so if there's a step, uh, something that fails, the whole thing rolls back to, to the original state. And so you, you have that amount of time from, the, so let's say a, a, a line one, you borrow it. 
at, yeah, at the end, you have to give it back and, and you can enforce this with code. And so you have that amount of time between you borrow it and you give it back to do whatever you need to do. So you can call the smart contract, you can do arbitrage, you can do swap, you can create tokens, you can set tokens at stake, you, whatever you want to do within that, 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 those lines of code. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now let's go back to the entrepreneur. So Sam, what are some of the opportunities that you would like to leverage if you get Miguel to take out a flash loan for you? You have eight minutes or oh, eight I, seconds. <laughs> I think we would have to turn off the cameras and, and, and mute in order to discuss that. Now first, I think Miguel was, I wanted to emphasize one of Miguel's points earlier that I guess I mean, the, the word hack is not the right Word for us to use, right? Hack suggests that somebody, you know, broke into the system, right? This is all smart contract code. In most cases, they were audited. They were just, they were operating the way they were designed. Um, yeah. It's more of an exploit. I, I, in the earlier days of this flash loan, I was more careful to, to call it an exploit rather than hack, but I probably strayed from that and it's because just because they've become so commonplace. Mm-hmm. But yeah, look, there, there is still more, uh, there, there are more every day. I think we're seeing nuances of the original flash loan hack or manipulation. And there, we're starting to see them in not just Ethereum chains, I mean, obviously Binance, we're starting to see them in Binance Smart Chain applications. We're also starting to see them in uh, liquidity pool attacks rather than mm-hmm. traditional attacking the price of a uh, stable coin. Now they're going after kind of the liquidity pool pricing. And and then who knows where this goes next. But what I do know is that Umbrella and you know, Oracles in general are well positioned to safeguard against these attacks. And one of the things that we should always be looking at is how are projects that you're staking or you're farming with, how are they basically preventing these attacks? Where are they getting their price feeds? Are they looking to a single exchange? Are they looking to an Oracle that's diversified? Those are things that we should be looking at. And th- right. that's where my attention is, rather than how should I take advantage of these flash, flash <laughs> levels. Um, so. I know why you say that, right? Because you and I are millennials, right? So we like, at least as the sciences say, is that we are more uh, prone to following the word of the law, like being more, how do I say, compliant. But then this newer generation, which YOLOs on the GME stocks or the AME stocks, like they don't have those hangups like we do. So they would like possibly, and like I use the word allegedly, like use it in more creative fashions. But do you think that there is a shift in terms of what people think of capital these days? In our times, at least, it used to be capital means whatever you have saved up and then you invest it, then you buy a house, then you invest in some stocks or whatnot. And then you see all of these kids buying futures on Robinhood. Is there a world by which all of these attacks, like flashcone attacks or whatnot, could become more commonplace and become something that everybody accepts as a part of the system. As some would say, if you are smart enough to pull it off, like why should you be penalized? You did not break any laws. Yeah, I think what you're coming about the capital and people's thoughts around capital art, how it's different. Now I was taught to first save money, start with your retirement accounts, get a nice stock and equity portfolio going. And then when you have some money, do some you know higher risk investing, whether yeah. it be single uh, stock portfolio or uh, crypto. Mm-hmm. And even within crypto, you start with 
Bitcoin and Ethereum. And yes. <laughs> you've got a nice base there. Then you look at all coins, right? That can give you, you know, higher returns than, right. than the Bitcoin and Ethereum. And then only then do you go for these like really far outliers. But it seems like it has flipped a little bit where a lot of money is coming in and bypass. And rather than starting with Bitcoin and Ethereum and keeping their assets there, they're like jumping right into these like meme coins and have the potential, in their opinion, for outsized returns. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not here to talk negatively about meme coins or NFTs, but I'm just saying that the return profile and the risk return profile, those are quite different. And it seems like that's become uh, more commonplace. And it, yeah, to me, it's a little bit unusual to go that go there mm-hmm. first. But the world is very different than when I when I was starting off my career. It's almost in some ways understandable. But having said that, should everybody, as a result, now be jumping into the flash loan business? No, because you, we have a social contract with one another. I believe to look mm. out for each other, and it's not written a smart contract code, but. It is a social contract that we have, all have with one another. And taking from somebody is not costless. It's meaningful for somebody else to have to have that loss. It's when you do these flat uh, attacks, there, there are victims, right? There are absolutely victims. And I think being on the internet and being crypto and being everything being done on Telegram, you know, sometimes we lose sight of the fact that there's a person on the other end. I think at the same time, as an industry, we have to recognize this problem and we have to take the steps to mitigate them or prevent them. In most cases, we know how to do it. It's, mm-hmm. and, and the problem is just that oracles today aren't supporting every single crypto asset that needs to be supported, right? Well, the top you know, 50, top 100 crypto assets maybe are getting full support, but uh, beyond that, there's a lack of oracle level support. And that's where Miguel and I are extremely excited because that's where we're focused. We're focused on the other, the rest of the crypto assets, the non, while we do support BTCE than all the other top 50, top 100, but it's also the middle of the market. They deserve to be, their tokens and their assets deserve to be protected just as much as everybody else. And so we're really excited about that. And we've been working really hard just primarily in, in large part to, to solve that problem. Got it. So when you like when you talk about oracle level support for these cryptocurrencies like people get that for the first 10 50 or 100 and then like you say that you have it for a much larger number like how do you guys like factor in people such as Elon Musk who today tweeted if you didn't see I'm going to name my Shiba Inu Floki and people were looking for what the hell is a Floki? Is there a Floki coin? Where can I buy that Floki coin? Even the price of Shiba Inu rose, those kind guys, like they call him their father. So like even that price rose. So while the rest of the cryptocurrency market was falling, Dogecoin rose by saying, seven to eight percent shiba inu about 12 percent i did not look into the fact whether floki exists or not but i don't (laughs) know like there were people searching for it on twitter so how does like umbrella network factor into these externalities or like these extraneous factors the purpose of an oracle isn't to tell you what the market value of a token or, or should be it's what it is what is the value without the external manipulation? So what do I mean by that? Like when Elon Musk makes a tweet that drives up the price of Dogecoin or any other coin, right? Right. 
those are real market moves. Mm-hmm. You're seeing that move across all of the exchanges, wherever it's traded with some real liquidity. And therefore, that is the present value, true economic value of that token. Mm-hmm. As opposed to if the price of a token is manipulated through non-economic means in one exchange, that is an outlier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so what we're trying to do is protect against those outlier manipulations. And so mm-hmm. if nine out of 10 exchanges show a similar price and there's this one outlier, we shouldn't let that one outlier that's trying to manipulate the market alter our view of what, that, what the price of that token is, right? And so Got we'll it. drop that value and focus on the other nine that are more in line and more consistent with one another. Mm-hmm. But it isn't designed to, it, we're not, we didn't design this to Elon Musk proof crypto pricing, right? It, know, takes something, yes. it, it would take something far more innovative yeah. than that, than to, to that one. And that makes a very interesting like discussion on what exactly constitutes manipulation. Because when Elon Musk does it, it's in the open system, right? It's not in a closed system. But when these flash phone attacks happen, they happen within closed systems, within very smaller markets or like very smaller areas where the price gets manipulated, which is not in consonance with what you would call the price of the larger market. So having said that, let's go back to Miguel. And Miguel, could you walk me through one of these examples of a flash loan attack? Explain like maybe the harvest finance attack or the burger swap attack so that we could like maybe understand what are those sequential transactions that happen. Because from where I'm standing, if I am sending, let's say one Ethereum to you, the second I hit the send button, I'm praying to God. I did not like, pardon my friends, I did not fudge up the private, no, the public keys or my own private key or whatnot. I don't know. I'm just praying unless you give me the confirmation that it has been sent, I would not rest easy. But when you look at these flash loan attacks, it goes over a series of steps. Walk me through one such attack. Maybe that could help us all understand it better. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll try to keep it high level. Some of these attacks are pretty complex. Everything and it's really interesting because they can do all these things within one single transaction. So the harvest finance, right? Like one of the uh, classical flash loan attacks. May so I are- interrupt you once over here? What do you mean when you say within a single transaction? Does it mean within the same block? Or like, how do you like explain that to somebody who doesn't get it? Yeah, it's essentially within the same block. Yeah, mm. yeah. But, like, but even then, you cannot send two transactions to the same block and have them relate to each other. You have to do it all within that one thing, like entry in the block. Mm-hmm. So it's it's every block and then within an entry in the block. So you have to mm-hmm. do it within that uh, window. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that's essentially a transaction is it has to happen within the block and it has to happen within an entry in that block. And every mm-hmm. entry in a block is called a, a transaction. Mm. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so it's, so essentially, well, let's say, I, and I used to, I, I initiate, a, let's say I, smart, I write a smart contract that does all these different steps. Like first it borrows the flash loan, then it does, it creates a new liquidity pool, it creates a new a token, it adds to the liquidity pool, 
all of that you code it up first in a smart contract and then you deploy that smart contract and then you initiate a transaction on that smart contract. This is not like your transaction has the code, it's you have already deployed the code, but you have a transaction that initiates the code and, and executes the code. So, mm-hmm. you know, just getting a little bit more in depth there. Please do. This sounds very interesting. Like, do you create your own token during a flash loan attack? You can, and that, that's what, that was the burger swap attack. Wow. So yeah, you, you can create your own token, you create your own pair, so, uh-huh. which is really interesting, and your own pool, and then add to that pool. So you can create, so the burger swap, so for, but let me take a step back into the harvest one, because that was like really simple, really easy to understand. Right. So the harvest finance one, essentially, um, the attacker moved the price of the burger token by 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 initiating a, a large trade on or it's not it wasn't uh, it was curve i believe curve or uniswap and so they they executed a transaction and they moved the price and harvest finance was using the price of the burger token that was that is being defined in in i think it was curve let's say curve mm-hmm. so they're using that price that's defined in curve which is wrong and we've seen some of this drama like we've seen like hayden from from hayden from from uniswap say like why do you need chain link right like why do you need chain link the problem with using just a dex to get your oracle data is are these problems right (laughs) so that's why you need we need an oracle or something not just a dex you need an outside that's the big problem of using dexes as an oracle so essentially harvest finance was using curve as an oracle to get the price of the uh, burger token. Mm-hmm. So when the attacker manipulated the price and they were able to execute the exploit on the harvest finance uh, side and then withdraw the tokens at a high level, that's what mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now the burger swap one, that one's really complicated. So essentially all within the same transaction, the user created first, they, they borrowed the money Mm-hmm. Then they created a new token, a, just a fake token, right? Like out of thin air, created a new liquidity pool for that token in, in BurgerSwap. And then, and then added all that, all that WBNB into that pool. Yeah. And so they're doing all this. And then that, that, sh- that shifted the price of, of Burger. So yeah, they created the liquidity pool and, and but yeah, they used the Burger fake token pair. Then, but they also kind of, this was an exploit because they exploited some of the coding because they, they were able to manipulate sort of what the smart contract thought was just reserve, the reserve, the total reserve. And so this basically drove, altered the price of the burger token dramatically. Mm-hmm. And, and so from there, they were just now, you know, now they moved the, the, the price and now they're able to swap. So they swap the, the fake tokens now for, for the WBNB within from the pool, from their own pool that they created. And then from that, they, yeah, that's crazy. From that, they basically then were able to swap the rest, the remaining for for Burger uh, mm. through Burger Swap. And, and then from that, yeah, they received the WBNB. And then from that, they they swapped that, the remaining BNB to, to more Burger. And then they finally, at the end, they replay, they repaid the, the flash loan. So uh-huh. very complicated. This is like very high level. So all these different, like what, seven or eight steps that are just described happen all within that one. If you go to the transaction, you can see like all these different token transfers that are happening. And it's really interesting how, how the movie, the tokens are moving. And mm-hmm. yeah, that was pretty complicated. Wow, it is complicated even when you try to break it down. Okay, going back to Sam. So let's say that you like have all of that money from the Splashstone attack, but it's still on the blockchain. It can't be traced where it went. Like you could use all of the mixers of the world. You could 
convert that to moneros or whatnot but your money would still be tainted it can be tracked it can be tagged is that the reason why some of these people choose to return the money which like has been reported way more than i would have expected i heard about a flash on attack a few days later that guy returned that money i'm like what were you doing it for i don't know but what is your uh, take on things can it become untraceable in the way that the powers to be in this centralized world think of all cryptocurrencies it's untraceable money it will devour our kids it will finance ter- terrorism or what not or is it something that can be traced yeah <clears throat> look i think people the talk about crypto being enabling all sorts of yeah negative, bad behavior is so overblown as, as if these things weren't happening before the exactly they want uh, their dollars to be used because they printed those dollars <laughs> and and just like you said great go ahead use these traceable tokens sure mm. like that's like an fbi agent so that's the biggest favor you could do for that yeah. right? Just, oh, let me create this permanent trail paper trail of where i took the money and where it's sitting and all the hops in between that's fantastic but <clears throat> why do people give it back and while mm-hmm. we're, we're seeing some of these like negotiated settlements and i, I think they're almost in the category of the benevolent hackers we, we do need to identify these potential exploits but that's why we go through audits which are very uh time consuming uh not to mention expensive but they're worthwhile because we want to have the best code out there possible mm-hmm. and so is there a role for an ethical hacker i i do think there is and how do we facilitate that in in a way that's not that's not damning to the project especially to the people who have their tokens and their assets locked up with that project. We don't want nobody wants them to be damaged. And so how do we create a way for that? And I think we as a community that question is being asked more and more. And mm-hmm. I've seen projects who are helping to facilitate the interaction between ethical hackers and and the projects. I I think the ones that return the funds, some of them do it purely because they want to show how how smart they are and how they about their own skills and mm-hmm. i and i have more power to them yeah obviously they had money <laughs> everybody would appreciate that and then there are two the ones that find some way to negotiate a settlement where they take the offer of the project to return the funds for a certain amount and i think those are all fair compromises until mm-hmm. we as a community grow and figure out a longer term solution to this because we do have to have our code be battle tested our design and our architecture at the same time we need a way for these you know, to identify these in a way that's not damning or harmful to the, the broader community mhm 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 that is very sound let's get a technical perspective on this one from miguel so miguel about 2 to 3 years ago when there were mostly centralized exchanges there used to be a vetting process where you could pay a huge sum of money to get listed or there was this vetting process where you paid a lot of money and got listed so in that world there used to be at least a layer of security as to the exchange listing a token would make sure that the token was backed by the right people or what not they would make them jump through hoops and pay a lot of money how does that compare with the current scenario where pretty much anybody can be a token on the dex as the burger swap guys does 
like is there a world where we need a balance which can be said about pretty much anything in the world or is it that the financial chaos of the dexes should be allowed to continue unabated and let let's say order appear out of chaos i am being poetic okay <laughs> Yeah, yeah, sounds good. That's a that's an interesting question. I personally got into Ethereum and blockchain not because like I had heard about Bitcoin, but it was really Ethereum, like Solidity, like unstoppable code that really got to me. So, mm. you know, from a philosophical point of view, I prefer Dexes, right? Anybody can just go and create a pair, anybody can go and create a pool like the attacker did for BurgerSwap and enlisted and then and I I I I guess people put in like the wrong addresses sometimes and I I'm terrified right. of that too. I'm always like please let me make sure I put in the right address. But that's a consequence, right? That's you can make it akin to other things that it's a lot of power and a lot of things can go wrong, but I think it's just like any sort of progress. I think we're progressing and we're figuring out these little kinks and how to fix them and I think being an oracle is it's a very important part of that because we're solving mm. solving this these issues how to use them yeah i get it that the centralized exchanges are more secure but then you got to think of other things like keys they hold your yeah. keys that's not really you're not holding that exactly. they can get hacked so there's all kinds of other problems yeah i i like that cuz i think the revolution they revolutionized particularly like uniswap and the way that the liquidity pools work the set of the order book like it was just it's amazing yeah. i think Miguel is I I I absolutely agree with Miguel. We all got into this because of our belief in decentralization, mm. autonomy over your own assets, all these things. And then living on the code and I think what people do is people lose sight of just how new all of this is. Exactly. This is it's at the stage where it's so early. Yes, there there are mistakes that can be made that there are things you have to be careful of. There are scammers out there pretending to be some other tokens at vulnerable times like when a project ideals like this mm. yeah, that happened. That is and, and 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 I'm not saying that those are all okay and those are things that we should live with and mm. that, you know suck it up. I hope we address that in the future. Definitely. Right? No, it's but it's so early. Like we're just we're still crawling. It's just that we've got a lot of attention, but it it's been very it's still a very early stage for DeFi, for Dex and relative to a centralized exchange. If you think about a centralized exchange, they've been around forever. Mm-hmm. Like, outside of the context of crypto, they've been around for an eternity. I I like where we're heading. I think we're going to solve a lot of these things over time. It doesn't mean that these aren't problems, but it's problems that Yeah, you know, I, I think as a community we're going to we're going to address these. We're we're early. Give us give us all a t- little <laughs> bit of time to mature. No, definitely. And I guess this is a larger question on how were the first laws made? Like when let's say that the first guy who got murdered, maybe enough people got together and said, "Okay, murder is wrong. We're going to penalize that." Of course it would be nice if there was a god. I hope there is. I don't know. But okay, I don't hope there is. Let me be honest. So let's say that if there was a god who gave out all of those commandments could be like okay thou shalt not murder thy neighbor or like whoever it would obviously be great if we could have that in blockchain but we don't and we are developing laws ethics and rules as we go forward it was very heartening to see when the ethereum and the ethereum classic split happened right we yeah. all were there and we all took that moral decision that we would take that back So yes we have morals ethics are there and so on and so forth. Let's yeah. move gears a bit. Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I would just on your analogy. I think it's akin to having 
free will. We as humans have free will. So even we have those commandments, we could have the same like guidelines right in blockchain, but it doesn't mean that we have to follow them. So I think I, I prefer free and I think it's the same in the code. Like you can have the freedom to use the best guidelines, use a proper oracle or not and get hacked. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. Got it. Speaking of oracles, like how do you guys envision a world of the future where oracles can prevent like these attacks from happening and then some like break down oracles for us. Like we understand oracles just from what we saw in that movie called 300 or maybe for those of us who read our history, how do you like explain oracles? I'll take the higher level and Miguel maybe can go dig a little deeper, but at a high level, basically what Oracle does is take data that's off chain Mm-hmm. And bring it and make it available for blockchain applications to use that data, which mm-hmm. they can't access otherwise. But bring it on chain in a secure way to make sure that they're free of manipulation, that they're not used, they're not manipulated in such a way that they can be used to create exploits and attacks. Mm. So, in the sense of crypto, what we're doing is, with crypto pricing, we're taking the price of right now 1,200 different assets. Mm-hmm. from multiple sources we analyze that data and to come up with a the definition of the current market price and send that to uh, the users of our data another example would be something like this the score of uh, a football match or uh, a basketball game right mm-hmm. we want to take the data that's available in the api world or in the centralized world and make that available data available for blockchain applications, you mm-hmm. know, for prediction markets, as an example. How do we make sure that during that process the data is not manipulated? And we do that through, you know, our consensus system. Mm-hmm. We are, in addition to that, where Umbrella is a little bit different is that Miguel and I, as we mentioned, we got into this obviously like everybody else. We believe in decentralization, right? We believe the more people that are running our uh, software running the applications, multiple nodes, and the more they reflect the community and not insiders, the more secure it is. And therefore, Mm -hmm. we put the operations into the hands of our community validators Mm -hmm. uh, so that they are running the code and we provide an incentive mechanism for them to do that during our consensus process. And so... That's how we ensure that security. And yeah, that's what we do as an Miguel, I'd like to switch questions uh, uh, like a little bit for you. Let's take the case of Harvest Finance that you explained to us. How does an Oracle prevent that attack from happening or maybe something like that? Yeah, yeah. So that one is pretty straightforward. It's something that we support now. And just basically Harvest Finance shouldn't have been using Dex a single DEX as their Oracle. And the solution there is just to swap out literally like one piece of code and to use a proper Oracle, right? So like mm-hmm. here in Oracle, what we do is we take, we provide the developer choices. So we can give you the spot price or time-weighted price, the mean, median, average, anything, mm. whatever you need. And then we take those from multiple sources. We could use, uh, we can use centralized exchanges like Coinbase, Crypto Compare, whatever. And then we take various sources and to make sure that there's no manipulation. So let's say we're reading from Uniswap and mm-hmm. somebody manipulated the price of an asset in Uniswap, then we have other sources of information and we're going to detect the outlier and essentially just ignore that, mm-hmm. ignore the outlier. And so as a, let's say Harvest Finance, all you have to do is use a good Oracle that uses multiple sources to, to source their data. Yeah. 
So in the example of the harvest, they attack the price of USDT on curve, right? Wow. And, and and harvest was referencing the price of USDT on curve. That was the only source that they were 100% dependent on the price feed from curve for the price of USDT. Mm. Whereas if they were to rely on umbrella, curve may have been one of the sources, but we have multiple other sources that look at the price of USDT. If we're looking at, let's say, five different sources for the price of USDT, there's an outlier on curve. We would ignore that price and then rely mm. on the other four that are more consistent. In some other cases, in the case of some other oracles, they're taking the median or they're taking the mean. But either mm. way, like an oracle is either diluting or eliminating the impact of manipulation of a single source like curve. So two questions here, Sam. One how does that address the oracle problem and why is not everybody using oracles like right now what was the point of using it sounds funny now maybe they thought okay it's decentralized what can happen we have a smart contract audited and i don't yeah. know tell me about I mean, it I think, there, I, I think there are two things you know one is first these were early days of DeFi, and i, I don't think everybody was aware of these vulnerabilities, mm. but, but now we are. And so why aren't every project using an Oracle? And that's a really good and legitimate question. And, and first, a lot of Oracles getting data chain is very expensive, right? From, from the, you know, original existing Oracles. If you look okay. at, because what they're basically taking, doing is taking one piece of data and writing that on the blockchain as a single transaction. And as mm. gas and the price of crypto assets have gone up, like that transaction became very expensive. $300. So, yeah, yeah, not to go into specific, but we've seen it go as high as two, $300 for a single yeah. transaction to get, let's say, the price of ETH USD on chain. Wow. That's, that's incredibly yeah. expensive. So what are you going to do? You're going to figure out ways to limit how often you update that price. Naturally. And, and then number two, you're not going to support as many assets as you should. Right? Naturally. So, hence, you're going to support 100, maybe 200 Maybe you're going to update the price of stable coins only once a day, or if there's some weird you know, price fluctuations, maybe then. It, it, you, but you're not going to update it regularly. And so right. projects, one, if I have to ask, is, my, is the token price that I need, is it supported by an Oracle? And many times they don't. And so they find, look for alternatives, which often tend to be a DEX or something like that, mm -hmm. uh, and which leaves them vulnerable. Number two is if it is supported, is the price updated frequently enough? And mm -hmm. so if I have a lending platform or some other form that, that needs the price, that needs to check the price of the asset regularly, it doesn't help me if the price is only updated once a day. Exactly. <laughs> so even yeah. once every hour, right? Like I, it, it may need it more frequently. Right. And so you know, that's why projects still today still may not be using an Oracle. And we're, we hope to solve that. Like, that is what we're solving. You need a price, tell us, we'll support it. There's no incremental cost for us to supporting additional crypto assets. Mm. Number two, you know, we're updating with high level of frequency, one to three minutes of all of the price fees, right? Not just mm -hmm. the ones that we deem worthy of being updated frequently, but really all of them. And we're excited to put this into the hands of developers and really eliminate the excuse that anybody have for not using an Oracle because We'll support it. We'll support mm -hmm. any crypto asset that you want and need. And number two, we'll update it frequently so that you have live data to run mm -hmm. your project. So yeah, that's my take on it. 
Interesting, interesting. Let's take a step back in time and let's think about the order books, right? Every large cryptocurrency exchange still mostly goes by the order book. Is there a use case for oracles with the order books? Or more aptly, or more bluntly, as I would ask, like, is there a world where the Binances of the world or the Coinbases of the world get oracles or their order book is good enough? That's an interesting question. A centralized exchange that's using an order book, you could potentially see them using it in some of the price in some if they're pricing alternative assets. Mm-hmm. But I think in terms of the trading of, of spot trading of crypto assets, yeah, I don't know that an Oracle would, would play a role in there, but we'd be happy to take their price fees. Right? It'd be a great source of data for us. But in terms of other areas that they do businesses, things like options and futures, there could, could definitely be a role for an Oracle in there. Because correct me if I am wrong, Miguel, order books are also closed systems, right? Whatever is the price of Bitcoin on Binance is dependent on like what is the supply and demand of Bitcoin on their order book. And the same can be said about Coinbase. So are these not closed systems? Can they not have some sort of an an attack that we don't have a name for, a clash attack because of the C, I don't know. Yeah, but they're also the volume. Like if you put that like an order book right in the in a decentralized smart contract, volume becomes a problem and, and liquidity and all of that, especially for smaller pairs. I don't know if the order book model would work. I don't know if we can build an exchange on the order book model and then uh, advertise it. If you're a centralized exchange yeah you're using an order book and I, I don't think it's not vulnerable right to a flash loan attack a because it's not decentralized it's not connected to any smart contracts uh and b it's uh, you set your ask price yeah you're paying what, what your what, what the ask price is so like why i ask this comes from this fact that when you think about order books you automatically think about two things when it comes to crypto one wash trading and two like liquidity management or as they call market making. Once you factor all of those like non, let's say I wouldn't use the word legitimate, but like something that isn't exactly re- reflective of the demand of a particular cryptocurrency. How does that work? Yeah, Utsa, I miss what you're saying about the kind of the wash trading and that is, let's face it, it's very common in our industry. I've looked at tokens with just unbelievable trading volumes on exchanges that you and I probably have never heard of and that nobody we know has ever used, Mm. right? Is that a problem? Yeah. And there are probably lots of false orders in that, in, in there. But if you look at the depth, one of the more interesting that could happen is like looking at the the depth of these markets Mm. and using that as a variable in the Oracle feed. Mm. Um, and so yeah, that, that may be because a- where I'm going with this is this. I believe that the centralized exchanges are resistant to oracles, and I fear that somewhere down the line we'll f- like see massive attacks on of these, on all of these centralized exchanges like Binance, and we wouldn't be like none the wiser, and we would again be thinking, okay, should have used an oracle. <laughs> but anyways, yeah. I guess I'm sorry. Go ahead, Miguel. No, I'm just thinking, I think it's going to be interesting in some of the future attacks that you could potentially do with a flash loan, right? Right now, we're just talking about arbitrage and, and other stuff, but right. I mean, I'm I'm just going out there, but let's say that 
let's say you're a proof of stake system, maybe you're Ethereum, right? And let's say I can borrow a crap load of Ethereum and set it at stake and then submit a bad block. Or maybe there's other systems that have on-chain proof of mm. just take out a bunch, set it at stake, submit a bad block and then remove it. I don't know. So these are just things that are going to be interesting. I think future exploits are going to be interesting. Right, right. Like now you're talking my language. Yes. What's the next attack that you are going to pull off, Miguel? Let's hear about it. No, nah, I think that was it. <laughs> That's my idea. Yeah. yeah. Others, I'll, I'll just keep them to myself for now. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. So, yeah, with that, let's call it a wrap. It was very wonderful having both of you with us. Thank you for joining the Hacker Noon podcast, Sam and Miguel. And now we'd like to give each of you a few minutes to speak directly to the Hacker Noon community. Yeah, Utsa, first off, thanks for having both Miguel and myself here. It's been an exciting ride since we started Umbrella back in September of last year. And we have obviously since then conducted our IDO. We've pushed out, we've developed our product into testnet, both on Ethereum and Binance Smart Chain. And I'm really excited to announce that we're going to be on mainnet next week. We'll be first starting with Binance Smart Chain. And to the community out there that's developing product, talk to us. Like we, we'd love to help you guys secure your projects to make sure that you're not vulnerable or susceptible to these types of attacks and all the other ones out there and, and work with us early, right? Like I think one of the things that we're seeing is that a lot of projects are tackling their Oracle-ish challenge at the end and for finding it very difficult. But what they should be doing is designing uh, with an Oracle like us in mind from the beginning to make it stronger and, and come see what we can help you do. Like well, all the things that we've learned with other projects that we work with, with the community at large. And we look forward to engaging with you guys. I think we have a great roadmap ahead from expanding into Ethereum into other chains such as Polygon and Solana coming up. And we're really excited for the future, not just for us, but for the crypto community at large, I think we've really started the ball rolling and this is going to be an unstoppable force. And I can't wait to see what we do together. Give us a call, hit us up, and we'd love to work with you guys. Definitely. Thank you. Miguel, do you have any parting words for us? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, first of all, thanks, Utah, and for having me. And thanks, SK. I definitely agree. And it was a fun, so it was a fun chat. Yeah, I'm really excited about Umbrella. I really believe as a technical advisor that we're just better. We're ahead and we're real, right? Like you can see our product, you can go and use it. We're about to be on mainnet. And that's huge. Like we see some of these projects that are just never even got to the real stage. And, we have, and then we have other oracles that have been around for a while. And you've heard of OCR, off-chain reporting. I think that's cute. But like we're like miles ahead from that. So I'm really excited for about Umbrella. And hopefully we can continue to execute and, 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 and drive that community and become more decentralized. And I definitely want to encourage developers that are watching. We have our SDK that's open and uh, live. You can use the later different types of data. You can see all the data points. You can request data from us directly so that we add your data point that you want into the system. Especially now that it's like a smaller community, you have a much higher likelihood of getting your data point quickly in there. But yeah, I just want to encourage developers to check out the SDK to start developing apps and, and just really test drive the, the product. Got it. 
thank you very much and we'll be leaving a lot of links with the umbrella like staking portals and the developer documents in the link to this episode and there's this developer challenge that is happening with the umbrella network where if you could develop an app on their bsc mainnet or the testnet like you could win a lot of money we would leave uh, links for all of that in the description below and with that let's call it a wrap Thank you guys everyone for joining the Hackerin podcast.